Thank you, Lee. Good. Thank you, Terry. Good morning. We, uh, we're starting a series um, today where we're going to be uh, thinking about the subject of discipleship a little bit and uh, over the next couple of uh, Sundays uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be looking at that and um, I, uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I got my big old Bible out, Rob, because, yes, I knew you'd like that. I, uh, I actually find it's easy to find your way around in it a bit better and it's good for study and so on. And uh, um, I thought how, how things have changed, haven't they? Because we all have the phone or the iPad and we've got our Bible on that and so on. But I am getting old, I know. There's nothing quite like hanging on to it and flipping through and so on. And so today we're going to go and um, we're going to jump around a fair bit. So uh, if you've got a Bible or you want to use the Pew Bible, you follow me as we as we do that. Um, Billy Graham said, "Many Christians want the benefits of their belief." but they hesitate at the cost of discipleship. And I think there's a lot of truth in, in that statement. In the light of what we read from 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us uh, that we should be called the children of God. In the light of that, how then should we live? If we, and I want us to concentrate and think about uh, how we ought to live as God's people and that's really the purpose of, of us doing our study together. And our prayer would be today that your hunger for the word of God and your hunger for living a godly life would be rekindled if it needs uh, over the next few weeks that as you think and reflect about what God wants in your life that you might be, you might be stirred afresh Psalm 42 and verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. The question is, is that your heartbeat today? Is that really true of where you're at? Does your very life depend on that refreshing, life-giving water that God offers to us and uh, how that impacts you? Are we readily identifiable as God's children? You know, you see sometimes around the street um, cars that are being tested and they cover them up so that you can't tell exactly what the new model looks like and uh, they keep them under wraps until they're ready to reveal it. But as I think about that, that's, that's not really how we're meant to be living as God's people. It's not meant to be that we live in concealment so people don't really know who we are. Uh, Today I want to encourage you that as you go from here I want you to be sure about who you are in Christ and that that might give you uh, great encouragement. Knowing who you are is important. I've got some photos. Steve, can I have that first one? Um, Anyone know who that is? That's Rosie the Riveter. 
Now, that's a World War II poster, of course, American propaganda to, uh, to boost the war effort uh, and to get women working in the workforce during Second World War. Go to the next slide, Steve. In actual fact, that's who Rosie was. Her name's Geraldine Doyle. She was 17 when they took that picture of her but you know it wasn't until about 1984 that she ever knew that she was the inspiration for Rosie the Riveter. Um, When they took the picture of her they even kept that, she's got a red bandana on and that's what they used in the picture but I, looking at her slender figure I think they might have beefed the muscles up a bit uh, and made Rosie a bit more attractive. But she had no idea. Um, She was 59 years of age before she even knew that she was famous uh, or before they had used her picture to inspire a nation of women to to help in the war effort. Can we have the next, next slide? Now, anyone know who that is? That's Russell Christoph. Now, Russell Christoph, it's very interesting. You see, he was a young guy and he was a model and uh, Nestle commissioned him to take his picture. You can see his picture here smelling the cup of coffee and they took his picture and they gave him $250 for it and they said to him, if we ever use the picture, we'll give you $2,000. So... A number of years later, in fact in about 2006 I think it was, he was in a shop buying some coffee. By this time he was a teacher and he picked up this cup of, uh, this bottle of Nestle Taster's Choice and he thought, that's me. So he took it to somebody else in the shop and he said, who do you think that picture is? And they said, oh, we think that's a younger version of you. And he was. So he did what you would naturally do and he went to see a solicitor. <laughs> and uh, Nestle told him that they would, um, they offered him some money as compensation. But he decided he wanted his day in court. And uh, so they, uh, they went to court and the judge awarded him $15.6 million. <laughs> Now, Nestle naturally appealed. (laughs) But the moral of the story is simple. You can take that off now. It pays to know who you are. It pays to know who you are. And uh, as Christians, it pays to know who we are. Terry, we are children of the King. Children of the King. And we need to remember that. Sometimes we forget who we are Deuteronomy 8 and, um, and verse 11 down to verse 20. Let me read some of those verses to you. Deuteronomy 8, uh, reading from verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, laws and decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, you will build your fine homes and settle down And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase 
and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. It's easy to forget who we are and to forget our heritage and God warns his people, do not forget who you are and what I've done for you. God calls his people in Deuteronomy, his call to his people in Deuteronomy was do not forget. Forget what? Well, forget who you are. And uh, if, I, if you forget your heritage, God said to them, you may not obey me and you may not remember what I've done for you. And we might think that the children of Israel would not forget what God had done for them, bringing them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and all that that experience meant. But we know historically that they did forget and we know too in the busyness of life that we live today how easy it is to forget where we ought to be in terms of our relationship with God. There are many times throughout the Bible when we are warned of the, of the consequences of forgetting who we are. God promises that he, he promised them that he would bless them with victory and that... Um, if they were obedient to their calling as his children, he would indeed enrich their lives. He reminds the Israelites again in Second Chronicles 7.14 and he says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is another reminder that God says, if you do this, I will do that and I will bless you. Seems to me that if we want blessing, then coupled with blessing comes obedience. Uh, but of course that's a whole other challenge. I enjoy reading through uh, the book of Joshua. Let me read you just a little bit of a couple of Joshua's exploits. Joshua knew that God was a God of integrity and he could be trusted. And in chapter 4, we read uh, of um, when they crossed over uh, the Jordan River and uh, the priests went into the water and the water uh, rolled back and, and then God said to them, take some stones out of the base of the river and build an altar. Um, and he says in verse 6 these are to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you what do these stones mean tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and when it crossed the Jordan the waters of the Jordan were cut off these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever can you imagine the, the stories that they must have st- talked about when somebody asked, what do these stones mean? Uh, you could just imagine, couldn't you, that a little while later somebody would say, don't ask them again, you know, because they would have been so encouraged by what God had done. And these stones uh, were a memorial and a testimony to God's faithfulness. And... Uh, there are so many things that God has done for us that we tend to forget and uh, in the busyness of the life that we live and we miss out. We need to be reminded. The truth is today 
We are, if we have believed the message of the gospel, God's children and we have a story to tell. And if this is so, then how should we live? Remembering that you are who you are helps you stop wandering away and making poor choices because if we forget who we are in God, it's easy to make the poor choices and then the road becomes a slippery downhill slide. Um, There are lots of metaphors in the scriptures that remind us of who we are. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 and he reminds us, he uses the picture of a soldier and he says that we are to endure hardship like a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets involved with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. You know, I think what that says to us is that we are not in the army reserves as Christians. We're not reservists, but we are meant to be soldiers. And if you're a soldier, then you're available 24-7 for whatever the commanders and whatever the government of the day might happen to want. And uh, and then similarly he tells him in verse 5 of uh, 2 Timothy 2, he said, you're an athlete, so you should compete according to the rules. Let me just read some verses to you from the book of Hebrews as we think about the fact that we are called to to be soldiers, we are called to be uh, athletes, we are called to be obedient to following the ways uh, of the gospel and the way of God. And verse, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer to the Hebrews says that we are to run the race of life with persistence with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Problem is there are so many other things to get our gaze on and to be fixed on and we often miss out and our focus is not where it ought to be. Why are these things important? One Peter, uh, Peter tells in his letter, we are God's holy people. In 1 Peter 3, uh, we read uh, about the, the, the relationship that God has brought us into. 1 Peter 2 and uh, verse 9 down to verse 12, he tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. In 1 John uh, 3, the verses that, um, uh, that Terry read to us, uh, we are told that God the Father has lavished on us his great love. Uh, he, and this ought to affect how we live and how we behave. I heard the story about a young woman who uh, had asked her parents if she could go out Um, to a certain place with her boyfriend and some friends and her parents agreed, her father agreed but said afterwards we want you to come home 
and it turned out that the place that they went, uh, the event they went to finished early. So they decided that they would go to a nightclub and uh, she said, no, I'm not going to go. And uh, her, her friend said to her, oh, come on, it'll be good, it's fun, we've got plenty of time, you'll it'll still be okay. She said, no, I, I'm not going to go. And uh, they said, well, why? Are you, uh, are you afraid of your father or are you afraid that uh, you might hurt your father? Um, or you're afraid that uh, your father might hurt you rather? And she said, no, no, I'm not afraid that my father would hurt me, but I am afraid that I would hurt my father. I gave him my word, I said what I would do and I will do it. And I thought, you know, she had it right. What a great thought that is for us. I, I, as a child of God, I will not do anything that would hurt my father, my heavenly father. It's a sobering thought and I've been thinking about this week uh, as I was thinking about what we were going to share today. What sort of people ought we to be? Uh, what type of disciple are you today? Do we have, a ten- we have a tendency to forget? And if we do, as I said earlier, it becomes a downward slip. We need to think of what lay behind these simple words that we read in 1 John uh, 3 and verse 1, that the Father has lavished on us this love. What's it, what, what was in the back of maybe John's mind as he was writing this. I want to just explore that for a few minutes. In, one, in John chapter 3 and verse 16, we have that wonderful, uh, well-known verse of the Gospel. And in 1 John 3:16, both of these verses remind us that it cost God his Son to save us from our sin, to save us from death, to save us from hell. John 1 uh, verse 4 um, uh, 1 John 4 rather and verse 10 reminds us that he sent his son to be an atonement for our sin. He went way beyond just the love of rescue, the love of sacrifice and the love of clemency. In and through this he had a greater design and I think this was what John was thinking about when he wrote this. He showed us another kind of love. He could have rescued us, God, He could have just sacrificed for us. He could have forgiven us and not gone any further. But instead he showed us another kind of love. He took us into his family. He made us children of God. And that's that's what plays on us as we think about that in terms of how we relate to being a disciple of God. Think about it. He did not... He didn't have to save us in the first place. He could have said, my son is far too precious for this lot of people. I I won't sacrifice him for that. He could have said, I will save them from hell. I'll forgive their sin. I'll give them eternal life. Nothing in us required that God would go beyond redeeming, forgiving, healing, rescuing love. To this extreme, namely adoptive love because that was the next step. A love that will not settle for a mere truce or a formal gratitude, but a love that presses all the way to make you and I a child of God, a member of God's family. This is more than just adoption. Adoption is not an adequate description really. John was thinking of something more profound. He's thinking of new birth. 
If I want, wanted to adopt a child into our family, I cannot cause that child to be born again. I take him in, I love him as he is, uh, with his personality and his temperament that he gets from his biological parents. I influence him with love, but if I do not, but I do not get into the very nature of the person and change it. But God does that. The love that John had has in view here in 1 John 3.1 is not the love that merely takes care of the paperwork and adopts. That in itself is amazing, adoption into God's family. But John sees more. God does not only adopt, he moves in and by his spirit, his seed, he, John calls, calls it, he implants something of himself to us. And when this happens, we take on that family resemblance. 1 John 3.9 tells us that his seed abides in us. If you're a child of God today, you are so by adoption, yes, and by more than adoption, by new birth. God will not stop his pursuit of closeness and communion until he's presented our very souls and planted his seed in us and uh, given us a new nature, not a divine one, we're not God, uh, but a nature like God in the image of God. Paul tells us uh, that God's plan long ago before the world was made, he tells us what that plan was. He saw the fall of man into sin, he saw the history of redemption and he saw the incarnation and the death of his son in it all. And it was aimed at this, that his son would have many brothers and sisters in an age to come. How? By adoption. Uh, Yes, Ephesians 1 and 5 tells us Uh, but more than adoption, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That is, he caused us to be born again. He made us new creatures in Christ. He put his spirit in us. He began the transforming work from inside that would shape us into the family likeness of God. He wanted us in his family. He wants us uh, to, to be so at home that he went way beyond redemption Adoption and gave us second birth. Now, in the light of all of this, what sort of disciples should we be? How then should we live? If we consider what God has done for us, what's it all mean for us today? Well, there are three things I just want to share with you. Number one, God's children are led by the Spirit of God. It means we are indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. To be so united to God by his Spirit that he is leading us, that is transforming us, renewing us, the renewing of our minds so that we value what he values and assess things the way he does and prove what the will of God is, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, reminds us, to know what the good and perfect and acceptable will of God is. The second thing is this, God's children are lights in the world. It means that we are different from the world, sorry, it means you are different enough from the world that you shine as a light, a little fragment of God's bright character of truth and righteousness and love. 
Philippians 2.15 says, We are children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. This sets us apart from the world and is why John said in 1 John 3.1 that the world does not know us because it did not know him. Our values and our priorities have been so revolutionised by conformity to Jesus that we don't make sense of the world and we don't make sense to the world. The world around us look at us and they scratch their heads and they wonder what we're on about. They don't really understand because they have no spiritual insight. And the third thing is this. Children of God are heirs of all things. Being God's children means we are going to inherit what God owns. Romans 8 and verse 16 and 17 tells us the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are fellow heirs with Christ but what is Christ an heir of? You have to go to Hebrews to find out. Hebrews 1 and verse 2 tells us in these last days God has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he made the world. So simply put, Christ is heir of all things and we are fellow heirs with him. Of what? Of all things. Paul says it very forcefully in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this to Christians, all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. What an impact these sort of truths should have on our lives. The way that we think about our possessions and the need to own things, the way that we think about our boasting and pride and the importance of having instead of being. That uh, video clip that Terry shared with us, that woman cut through Imagine somebody giving you a $50,000 cheque and you had financial difficulties. I'm not quite sure that I'd have been so quick to tear it up, Benny. Food for thought, isn't it? What would we do in that situation? Um, What an impact the truth of knowing who we are and what we have in Christ should have on us. We own everything as God's children everything. It's just a matter of time before it's all ours. The old song, Brian, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Uh, only those who are old will know it, of course, but, uh, but, the, but the, the truth behind it is so real. God owns everything. It's all his. And he's given it to the Son. And we are heirs with the Son. So what the Son has, we have should impact on how we live how then ought we live how great is the father's love that that he has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God in light of these themes how then should we live Oswald Chambers said once said the best measure of a spiritual life is not in its ecstasies but in its obedience 
So not in the not in the exuberance of what we get in life, but whether we are obedient or not. So as you go into this coming week, I want you to remember what great love the Father has lavished on us. That that love that adopted us into his family, that have made us children of God and in light of that and all that that means and all that that has opened up for us, in light of that, how then ought we live? As God's people and as we consider over the next few weeks God's call in our life to be obedient disciples, how then ought we live? God has given us everything that he could give us and he has made us heirs of all things. So, how then ought we live? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for time to spend together today and to think about these things. It's beyond our comprehension that you would love us with such love to such an extent that Jesus would come. But in faith we believe it and accept today what you have done for us and we praise you for the wonderful relationship that you've brought us into, that you have made us children of God, your children. And Father, help us today to appreciate as we go into this week that with that comes responsibility as to the choices we make, how we live and how we interact with one another. So Father, help us to be obedient uh, to you and to your ways as we go into the week we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.